a, a particularly interesting shift that you see happening in the teachings of Jesus. In particular, I'd like for you to notice that in verse 1, you have something that is very unique in Jesus' teaching. Now, in other teachings about the kingdom of heaven, in the Gospel of Matthew, you will have Jesus say, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he will tell some kind of parable, some illustration, some kind of story to express Here's what the kingdom of heaven is like. But I want you to notice in verse one that there is a a curious transition where he says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like. And he speaks of the kingdom here in this moment in a future tense where he never has up to this point. And one of the things that is particularly noteworthy about that is up to this point, Jesus has spent what I would say three or four chapters now talking about the woes that were going to come upon the the city of Jerusalem and all of the, the judgments that needed to happen because of their sins. And after describing those things and describing the judgments and describing their need for readiness, Chapter 25 opens with this transition of, but then the kingdom of heaven will be like, where he seems to be pointing to, here's what the kingdom is going to look like as my servants await my return. Now, last week we spent some time in Matthew 24. We spent actually Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night going through Matthew 24 due to its complexities as well as so many misunderstandings about that chapter. But one of the things that I really wanted to emphasize was that there is a need for readiness when it comes to three phases. One, we have to be ready because we don't know when our lives are going to be over. You have Jesus telling parables like that where you have a foolish rich man who is concerned about building bigger barns and doesn't realize that that was going to be his last day on on earth. And so a reminder that you never know when it's going to be your last day. The second phase of that are in national judgments, that God rules over kingdoms and rules over nations and rules over the earth And he is behind the rise and fall of nations. And at any given time, God can bring his judgment against a nation for its sins. And that has been the primary focal point of of chapters 21 through 24. But then there's also this reminder that the Lord is going to come back. And there is a time of final judgment. A time where he's going to come back to the earth and there's a time of accounting. So I want you to keep those three ideas in mind in terms of readiness, because what we see in Matthew 25 is Jesus giving three instructions. Two of them are parables, and one is the instruction itself at the very end. I'd gone back and forth on how to approach this chapter, but as you look at Matthew 25, there are no breaks. He just gives one big teaching. And so I'm going to hold this teaching all together And look at this big idea that he is trying to communicate about being ready in terms of his return. Now, as I just read for you, you have in these first 13 verses a a parable that's being told about these five servants who are going to be ready with their lamps. 
for the bridegroom to return and there are five who seem to be unprepared. They did not bring oil in waiting for this bridegroom to return. And so you have this picture being given as here are these ten all together and they're waiting in verse 1 for this bridegroom to come. It is hard for us in our culture to connect with the way things were in terms of weddings and feasts in the first century. We do things quite differently. You know, our, our weddings and feasts kind of end in a few hours and theirs went on for days and days and days. And it was a huge celebration. And, you know, we're like, all right, glad to see you're married. I'm going to go home now. And that's not the way things, things worked back then. And one of the things that if we could try to connect a little bit that would be imagine if you were at the reception place, you know, you have the wedding over there somewhere and we're waiting and waiting all of these days for them to finally come to the reception to enjoy this feasting and, and party and celebration of regarding their, their marriage. And that's the best that we, I think we can kind of connect to what this would have looked like is here you are waiting and you don't know when he's going to come, but you need to be prepared because it's going to be a wonderful reception and a wonderful celebration. Well, here are these ten. Five are ready for it to last a long time. Five are just hoping it's going to come really, really soon. And there's an emphasis that's made repeatedly through this chapter. And the first one I want you to see is there in verse 5 where it says that the bridegroom was delayed. From what we can read historically, that was not uncommon. It seems that they liked to have this wedding take a long, long time and then finally come on back and see who was ready for them to come and be ready for that particular reception and that celebration. And you'll notice there in this picture of this preparation is that as the delay goes on, verse 8 says that these five, they were not ready. They asked for some oil to light their lamps. But the answer back in verse 9 is that there's not going to be enough for us if we give to you. You need to go and make your own preparations. But you will notice that once they go and buy those in verse 10, it says the door was shut. And in verse 11, they call out, Lord, Lord, open to us. And verse 12, it says, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Now, notice the key message of this first parable. Watch, therefore, because you know neither the day or the hour. First picture that's being put forward is when we talk about the arrival of Christ and his servants being ready the first thing he wants them to think about is you need to be watching. You need to be prepared. You need to be ready because you don't know the day or the hour. Now, I want to make two quick observations with that, because especially in our day and time, and especially with current events that are going on in the world around us, it is useful for us to underscore a couple of things. Please note that it says no one knows when this day of judgment is. Because it seems to me that every time something happens in the world, everybody starts pretending that they know when it's going to be. They have broken the code. They've cobbled the prophecies together. They have figured it all out. They've read the tea leaves. They've been able to move all the pieces together. And we know now that this is for sure it because of X, Y, and Z and one, two, and three and add it all together. And here we all go. And I just want you to hear this. Every time people do this, Jesus said, we're not going to know. So anyone who says they know doesn't know because Jesus said, we don't know. 
He's very clear that you are waiting and watching because you're not going to be able to read the Bible backward or upside down and figure out some secret code. And now you know something that nobody else doesn't know. You don't know the day or the time. I want you to see something else that's very important, though. Jesus says you have to be ready beforehand. There's no last second, oh, let me figure it out. He's coming. I better get my life right. Notice the picture is given there in in verses 11 and 12 that you have to be ready before he comes. There is an expectation that we will make our lives ready, that we will be watching, we will be alert, we'll be prepared, and we'll be longing for that day. And when he comes, we are going to be ready for that moment. And you will notice that those who are not ready in verse 12 are excluded. Jesus says, I don't know who you are. You weren't ready. Now, these instructions build. Because I hope one of the things that would come to our minds at this moment is, well, so what does it mean to be ready? What what does that look like? What does he want for his servants? Since he says you need to be ready and you don't know the day and the hour and you need to be watching, what does that preparation look like? What does it mean that we would be ready when he comes? Well, notice Jesus isn't done. Look at verse 14. Even though in our Bibles we probably have headers and paragraph breaks and Things like that. You will notice, I always enjoy this. When when the word begins with for, he didn't change ideas. (laughs) We we didn't move off onto something else. He's going to tell a second story now, and it's building off of that first one. Verse 14, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with property. Now, I'm going to call this parable... The parable of money. Almost all the translations in verse 15 are going to say that this landowner, this this man gave talents. And the reason I got to stop right here is because when we hear talents, we think of something completely different than what Jesus just said. A talent in first century was a denomination of money. And we hear talents and we go abilities. That's the first thing we think of. He gave this guy five abilities and this guy two abilities and this guy one ability. Do not read that that way. So I'm going to use the word that the NIV uses. They don't use talent. They went with bags of gold. Okay, that helps. We're talking about money. That's what he's telling in this story. Here is this man. He has property, and what he's going to do is he's going to distribute wealth. Five bags of money to the first, two bags of money to the second, one bag of money to the third. You'll notice in verse 15, it says that he had distributed the money according to their abilities. You know, it'd be kind of strange to say he distributed their abilities according to their abilities. It's clearly we're talking about money. He's using denominations of money like saying $100 bills. So here he is. He is the wealthy landowner. He's now entrusting his property to his servants. And he's giving out different portions of the wealth and the property to these various servants. And I want you to notice something about how Jesus tells this parable. Because it's similar to the prior parable. Notice in verse 19 it says, and he was gone a long time. 
You know, I, I like that Jesus repeatedly made it clear, even in the first century, it's going to be a long time. It, it wasn't going to be real quick. A long time is going to go by in which the servants are supposed to be acting and waiting and watching before he returns. Don't have time, but I'm going to keep making side points anyway. The long time is sometimes the reason why we lose faith. But Jesus said over and over again, it's going to be a long time. He was very clear. There's going to be, it's going to seemingly be a delay. It's going to be a long time. It's going to be this process. Time is going to go by while the master is gone. And I want you to notice then they go out and they do things with the what has been given to them. Verse 16, the one who's been given these five bags of money, they go out and they are able to get five more. The one with two bags of money goes out and he is able to get two more. And you'll notice in verse 21 as well as in verse 23 that these are commended. They are given high praise. As they come back and they are held account, the master returns. Verse 21, well done, good, faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. A proclamation of praise. You have done what you were supposed to do. The master returned. He was ready. He had doubled the amount. He gave a return. And I want you to notice the contrast to that because we have in verse 18, the one who was given one of the money bags, it says in verse 18, he dug it in the ground and hid the money. He did nothing with it. And you'll notice in the accounting that is given in regards to him, it says there in verse 24, he also had one who had received this one bag of money. He came forward saying, I want you to listen to what he says. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. I I thought about that declaration. Can you imagine standing before God, standing before the master and saying, you know, I knew you were a harsh guy. You're rough. And you demand things out of people that are unreasonable. I mean, that's, that's what he says in verse, verse 24. Reaping where you did not sow. Who tries to reap where you didn't sow? No, nobody does that. You don't try to get crops out of places you didn't put seed in. He is describing the master as harsh and unreasonable. I, I knew you were a harsh person. And so I just, you know, I buried the money and, and here's what you gave me. Notice what is said of him in verse 26. You wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I reap where I didn't sow and gather where I've scattered no seed. And you want to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the money that was given to him and give it to the one who has the 10 bags of money for to everyone who will be be, who will to, to everyone who has will be more be given and the one who has an abundance but for the one who has not even what he has will be taken away now listen to verse 30 
and cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is an amazing statement. You are called this wicked and lazy servant because you did not do with what God had given to him, what the master had given to him. You took what was offered to you and you did nothing with it. Now, I want you to think about the key idea of what he's doing here by calling the master wicked and lazy for doing nothing. And notice verse 30, he calls him worthless as well. Here's this implied question that's bubbling up to the surface. Are you using what God has given you to do the master's work? Notice how these stories are building. The first story is you need to be ready. You don't know the day or the hour. You could come at any time. So make sure you're prepared because you can't get ready when he comes. It'll be too late. So be ready. Well, what does readiness look like? Well, notice he builds on that. Here's what readiness looks like. All of us have been given much by the master. What are you doing with it? How are you using the master's wealth? How are you using the master's property? How are you using what has been given to you? Now, pause, side point. What has God given you? Do we need to go there for a minute? And I hope your immediate thought is everything. Everything you have is from God. Everything you enjoy is from God. The breath you just took is from God. The clothes you wear are from God. The money you have is from God. The job you have is from God. The home you live in is from God. Everything we have is from God. So here's this big question. You have been given much. And everybody's been given these different amounts of bags of gold, if you will. And Jesus is saying, so what are you doing with it? How are you using it? And I think we would see that it is clear that Jesus is not saying what I really want you to do with all of your money and all of your property and your clothing and your wealth is make sure you double it so that when I come, I see twice as much. (laughs) God does not have a concern with, you know, I started you out in life with $30,000. I want to make sure I see 60,000 before I get there. That's not the point, is it? That's not where he's going with this. There is a question of using the things that God has given to you in terms of his service. But the question still hangs. Well, what does that look like? Glad you asked. Look at verse 31. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations And he will separate peoples one from the other as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. From the foundation of the world. Let's stop there for a minute and notice this commending that's given. It's something that's been funneling through all three of these points. Where here we have these servants who are said, well done, good and faithful servant. Verse 21, you have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. 
Enter into the joy of your master. Now you'll notice the same idea is presented in verse 34. Come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. All right, so here's the big question. Why were they selected as the ones blessed by the father and inheriting the kingdom and enjoying what was promised? Verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. There's the answer. Who are the ones who enjoy the kingdom? Who are the ones that are blessed by the father? Who are the ones that are going to hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. Here's the answer of the king. Because when you saw me in prison, you came. And when you saw me hungry, you fed me. And when you saw me thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when you saw me naked, you clothed me. Now, hopefully in your mind, you're asking the very same question that the people hearing this are asking. Because you'll notice what they ask in verse 38. When did we see you a stranger or welcome you or naked and clothe you? In verse 37, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? Here is the sum total of the picture. When you gave the king who was in need, here's that that response. Then you are blessed by the father. And they're asking and they're saying, wait a minute. When did we ever see the king hungry? When did we ever see the king thirsty? We never saw that. Verse 40. And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. I hope that's jarring to think about. Because they're asking the same question we're asking. How would we ever... Feed the Lord, clothe the Lord, give drink to the Lord, visit him when he's in prison. What what are you talking about? And the answer is, well, here's the thing. What you did to others in the family of God, you did to the Lord himself. I want that to rest upon our minds for a moment here. What we do to one another and for one another in the family of God is as if you are doing it to Jesus himself. That is quite a statement. You know, you kind of think, oh, you know, here we are, we're all friends, you know, everything's good, you know. What, what does it really matter? Is it really important how we interact with one another? Does it really matter if we serve one another? Does it really matter how we treat one another? You know, we, we're all human, we all can have personalities, you know, issues, problems. Here's, here's Jesus going, no, here's how important it is. Your eternal outcome depends upon how you treat each other. That is what he just layered all this into. 
He said, how have you used what I have given to you? Because how you serve one another in the family of Christ, how you treat one another in the family of God is going to be held in account so much so that he says, Your eternal outcome is depending upon it. To those on the right, he said, you will enter into the joy of your master. You will be blessed by the father. You will inherit the kingdom. Why will we enjoy it? Because you fed me, you clothed me, you cared for me. When did we ever see you naked and in need? And his answer is, because you did it to each of these, my brothers and sisters in the family of Christ. And you'll notice that he goes to the other side of that in verse 41. And he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and and did not minister to you? How are we not serving you? What do you mean you needed us to serve you? How did we how did we fall down? How did we fall short? Verse 45. Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. All right, I'm going to settle on that one a second. As you did not do it to the least of these. You might look around and think, yeah, here's, here's, our, here's our family of Christ right here in this room. Here we all are. And I would definitely help out these people if they were in need and they needed care and they needed concern and they needed help and they needed serving. But you know, these other people, I don't really like them a whole lot. We don't really get along. We don't really jive. Personality. Notice he doesn't say what you did to all of your favorites. All the people that you like, all the family of Christ that's your best buds, because we'll, we'll sign up for that, right? The people that you really love in this room, that you're really close to, that you're really friends with, they need something. Oh, man, I'll help you out. Here you go. But notice he draws a picture and says, but what about the least of these? The people in your mind that you would draw a conclusion and say, yeah, but they're kind of on the bottom of my rung. I don't really talk to them. I don't really know them. I don't really care about them. I've got my list of all these friends that I like because, I mean, there's like 110 of us in total. You can't like be best buds with 110 people at the same time. So we've kind of got our priorities. And he goes, yeah, so here's what I want you to think about. What about the ones on the bottom? What would you do for them? Because what you do for them is what you're doing to Jesus. And so I want to pull these three together and then draw some important conclusions. Your first parable. Be prepared. Lord, how are we supposed to be prepared? Well, you're prepared by using what the master has entrusted to you. You have been given things by God. You have been given wealth by God, possessions by God, 
You have been given life by God. You have been given so many things by God. How are you using it? And then the third story is, are you willing to use what you have to serve and to give to those who are in the family of Christ? Are you willing to say, here, you need this. I'm going to give this to you. When I saw you in need, when I saw that you needed care, when I saw that there was a deficit, I was the one who saw it and I want to do something about it. I don't have time, but I think how often we can just think, well, you know, I don't need to do anything. They're going to be all right. They're going to be fine. I don't have a lot right now either. It's tough for us all. And I want you to hear the words of Jesus saying, here's how important it is. What we do with one another is what we're doing to him. All right, now let me zero in on a couple of things and the lesson will be yours. I want you to notice something that I think is particularly staggering about this, this story that Jesus tells. Here he is talking about what you did to these brothers and sisters of mine, what you did to the least of these, what you did for one another is part of this, this equation that's being made of who is on the right, who is on the left, who is entering into the kingdom, who is not, who enjoys the, the glory that is to be revealed and all that God has in store and who does not. And I want you to notice how this ends in verse 46 when he says, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Boy, I think we really underestimate the importance of the interactions we have with each other. It is so easy for us to live in the individualized American culture society, and I've got my things and my time and my busyness and my schedules. And yeah, it's sure good to see you and I care about you, but you know, I've, I've got a, 160 other hours of life in a week that I do everything else and you're just only three hours of a week. And Jesus is saying, do you understand that you're family? And do you understand that how deeply connected we're supposed to be so much so that we would have our eternity staked on it, that we would understand that he tells this in a way to say, these will go into eternal punishment but the righteous will go into eternal life. First conclusion I want you to see in verse 41. Depart from me, you are cursed into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I have found this verse to be so important. That's why I want to highlight it. Eternal fire was intended for the devil and his angels. That's why it's created. Because here is evil and evil must be dealt with. And God has created an eternal judgment, an eternal punishment, an eternal fire that they are going to experience. And the whole idea of saying it this way is it's not God's intent for you to be there. But you decide that outcome. That's what this whole parable, two parables and an an instruction is saying. What decided who was on the right and who was on the left? What decided who were going into the joy of the master and who wasn't? 
It wasn't God. It was the person. You made a choice. So often I hear I hear hear this question. How can God cast people into eternal fire? I would like to flip that question over. And this is the correct question. How could you choose to spend eternity in eternal fire by refusing to be ready? The whole chapter is begging us to be ready for his coming. And that you have a choice. Ten servants, ten virgins are described here. Five chose to be ready, five chose not to be. Parable of money bags. Here's some who chose to be ready. Here's some who did not. Here are sheep and goats described in separation. Who's on the right? Who's on the left? Those who did and served and gave in the family of Christ. And those who did not. Friends, the choice is ours. Of what we are going to do with our eternity. And I want us to see that one of the important things that God wants us to think about in terms of eternity is what we do here. It's not just simply, do you know the right facts? It's not just simply even baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. It's not just simply turning away from sin and trying to serve God. It also matters what's happening in the room. God cares. And let me use one other thing that I think is important here before I get to our final point you know sometimes people will say well you know hell's not as long as as heaven eternal punishment's not as long as 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 eternal life verse 46 the two are put together however long one is is however long the other is Uh, there's no suffering for a little while and then on into glory it's either eternal punishment or eternal life. And remember what we saw in the first parable? It's going to be a point where it's too late to change that outcome. you got to be ready. So let me end with by asking this big question. Why would eternity hang on how we treat each other? Isn't that kind of crazy? How, how could our eternal destiny hang on Serving one another, giving to one, or seeing concern, seeing need, seeing care, and fulfilling. How could that be so important? Why would Jesus tell two parables and an instruction and drive at the idea of what you do for others is what you've done to me? I'll end with just two passages. Number one, listen to what the Apostle John says. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Please hear this. The one who does not love doesn't know God. Here's why eternity hangs on it. Because if we can't figure out how to love one another, serve one another, give to one another, care for one another... We must not know God. Wow. Wow. I'm like, oh no, I know God. Now, if you don't care about everybody in this room, you don't. If you don't want to be together in the room, then you don't know God. 
If you don't want to serve one another, you don't know God. Notice that's what he says two verses later. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, what way? Well, he only gave his life. Then is anything off the table for us to give to one another? No. If he loved us by giving us his life, then what should we be willing to give for one another? Everything. Because everything we have is from God. You didn't expect Jesus to end his public ministry that way. But to the gospel of Matthew, that's what he did. Be ready for his coming. And part of the equation of being ready is how we interact with each other. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for showing us what love is, showing us what love looks like. And Lord, thank you for your son and all that he gave, all that he sacrificed so that we could see what love truly is. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for the times in our lives when we don't have a care and concern for each other. Where we do get caught up in our schedules and in our own physical families and we get caught up in our own jobs and our own busyness. And we forget to think about using all that you have given to us to be of service to other other brothers and sisters in the family of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would impress upon our minds that what we do toward one another is what we're doing to you. And help us to be a people who desire to fill the needs and fill the care and fill the service that needs to happen for one another. Lord, help us to love the body of Christ. Help us to love this family. Help us to care for one another, give to one another, sacrifice for one another, and love for one another as you have done for us. Help us to see its importance. Help us to build those relationships so that we will understand that we are a family together, joined and knit. And forgive us for when we have missed that. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll sing an invitation song. We invite you to come to the family of Christ and see the forgiveness that God has given to each one of us. It is, it is a wonderful thing. It, it, I think we sometimes undervalue how great it is that God did not say, Serve God by yourself. Good luck to you. Hope you figure it out. No, life is long and hard, but you can make it. But he gave us a family. That even if you don't have a family, you have a family. That can be so connected together and so joined together that we can hurt with those who hurt and rejoice with those who rejoice. 
And you get to enjoy a wonderful family if you give your life to Jesus. That you turn away from sin. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Follow him faithfully and see all the blessings that God has in store for you. Can we help you do that once you come now while we stand and while we sing?